Hello everyone, it's uh, the Oxley Bomb MotoGP podcast number two from Le Mans in France. My name is Matt Oxley, I'm a journalist, used to race motorbikes many, 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 many years ago. Um, and I've been ca- covering MotoGP for 36 years, so a bit of an insider I suppose. And um, I'm going to pass you over to Peter Bomb now. Yeah, hello everybody, my name is Peter Bomb. I've been working in motorbike races for um, over 20 years. I'm still active with data recording. I've been working as crew chief and with data recording in several classes from Supersport and Superbike over Moto3 and Moto2. Fortunately enough, had a couple of championships and we had a really good rider. Uh, nowadays, I'm like a journalist and together with Max, we try to give you all the ins and outs and the backgrounds of all the race weekends as they happen. Where, um, oh my God, I mean, what a <laughs> what a completely crazy race today. I mean, um... Uh, it's, Le Mans is not the greatest racetrack in the world. It's a bit of a Mickey Mouse track, to be honest. But, you know, wow, it, it, it creates situations. It's a lot of tight corners. You know, there's a lot of guys together trying to get in through there. So that's probably one of the reasons why we saw a lot of, a lot of chaos today and some quite scary chaos. You know, when a rider falls down and, and is just missed by the guy behind him, it's a bit scary. But I mean, you know, whenever everybody walks away at the end of the day, we're happy and it's exciting. But I mean, what a race. And um, Bezeki, I mean, you know, what a talent. Uh, you know, he won in the, in, the, in the rain in Argentina. But racers always look at wet wins as kind of, they almost don't count because, you know, they're strange. But when you win a race in the dry by four seconds, you know you've done something special. And Bezeki just, I mean, I know other guys crashed, but um, he has a huge amount of natural talent. That's the thing about Bezeki. And this is his second year now in MotoGP, and he's starting to think as well. He's, he's riding on instinct, but he's also getting into the, you know, into the electronics and everything with his crew chief, Matteo Flamini, who used to be um, Rossi's data guy for like 14 years. So, you know, he has a great team behind him and a great crew chief behind him. And Matteo Flamini's very interesting talk, to talk to about Marco. So it was, a, he just did not put one foot wrong today. And that's the thing about, about, um, about uh, Le Mans, you know, because of all this downhill breaking into slow corners, if you break one meter too late, you're going to run wide and you're going to lose a tenth of a second. So to do that around here for him is just like, wow, incredible, incredible. Yeah, and it's for me, he wasn't even very high on the list, Matt, of guys who's going to win it. I think he was not even on his own list very, very high. It was like, for me, what happened in the race that uh, I think he couldn't believe his luck. I don't want to say the race itself was luck, but it was just too easy. He was so much better than everybody else. Uh, and I know, like you said, I totally agree. He is one of the biggest talents and he has a lot of things in his character which will, which will make sure we will hear his name a lot in the future because his character is really suited for top MotoGP racing, modern. But this is also the guy that spent Saturday morning in the garage because he threw it away in half a lap and then missed the whole session, the P3 session completely. So, um, and also yesterday was cool, but not like, wow, tomorrow he's going to blow them in the, in the woods. No, 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 not at all. But I, I expect that was something happened like, um, okay, with the soft front and a soft rear and everything dialed in for the race on different temperatures. We had really different track temperatures than yesterday. For some reason, there is probably a little bit luck involved. The settings on that Ducati worked unbelievable. Well, so much better than any other bike on the grid. And he was so calm and precise and use it that there was really nobody even could. Ah, 
there was somebody in my opinion there was one guy that could have gave him a run for his money and that's maverick because maverick was really on a roller coaster you know maverick is the guy that uh we always say he's he shit at starts and he's shit in the fights but a couple of times in the year he's very very good in the fights and that's always when he feels really really strong because you know maverick if all the stars has to be aligned but when they are aligned he's unbelievable the way he sliced through the field after again an okay so so start was unbelievable and so much easier and he took places to overtake that doesn't exist in the rider's head so uh, he was a bit unlucky maybe we speak about the crash because what stopped him was was a nasty crash that could have ended even a little bit worse um how do you see that from your point of view i mean i i immediately thought it was a um a racing incident you know i mean uh, <laughs> what you were saying about him carving through the field the, from from peko's onboard that they showed after the crash the, <laughs> the way vinales just came past him on the inside was just unbelievable i mean uh, it's it's good to see overtaking back in MotoGP, and there's a few reasons that we can discuss later, maybe at another podcast, about why this is happening. Um, but so he, he went in, and obviously Bagnaia thought he was going to try and make the outside line ar around the next left, because generally if you go into one corner, you know, the first of a left deep, you're going to run a bit wide, and, and Bagnaia obviously tried to do the cutback on him and go around the outside and have him for the left, and they collided. Simple as that, no problem at all. And and I, you know, some people say, oh, it's so bad for the sport where they had a fight in the gravel trap. I, I completely disagree. <laughs> I, I I think you know the, you, what you have to think is that these two guys are absolutely high as kites on adrenaline. You know, <laughs> and it's like in a car crash. It's like road rage. You know, you always blame the other guy. You know, that's what happens. That's just the way human beings are. But they they got back on the same scooter. And, and rode back. So once they'd calmed down, I think they both realized that, um, yeah, it, it was just a racing incident. And I think even, I would not be surprised if Pecco looks back and think, fuck, I fucked up a little bit there. Because in my opinion, he, he, okay, it's a race accident, but more like what happens between rookies. Because rookies don't even always realize where the other bike is. But these guys are not rookies, but he just don't, didn't want to give up the position. He smelled. He, he did smell the situation, he did smell the opportunity, and he wasn't going to give that, that place away so easily. So he kept hanging there. Uh, seven out of ten times it works okay, you don't crash, but you still lose the place. But he just wanted to give it a real go and stay, and then unfortunately they crashed. So it's a race accident, but if I needed to point at somebody, it's a little bit more than Peko. I think he knows that, because now he threw away everything. And looking how the race developed, it could again have been a Peko Banyaya race more or less but marco was on another on another on another planet completely yeah I, I it kind of reminded me in a little bit of a way of, of people with long memories of remem remembering danny pedroza and simoncelli crashing here in um 2011 i think you remember uh simoncelli went past charged past pedroza going very fast and he hadn't got a podium yet you know he was a crazy young guy he would prepare to die to get a podium and Pedroza came past him on the straight and got taken out of the next corner. Now, now you know, if I was, you've got to have some racecraft, haven't you? It's early in the race. You've got to say, okay, this is Simon Shelley. He's a maniac. He hasn't scored a, 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 a podium yet. You know, let's just let him get in front and wait three or four corners for him to make a mistake and I'll re-overtake him. You know, you have to consider the other rider's character. 
you know, there's so many things to consider when you're racing. You've got to think, well, this guy's a crazy guy. He'll do anything to get his first podium. So I'm going to give him some room. And the two guys that consider each other's character very, very well were Jorge Martin and Marc Marquez. Because there happens a lot between, but they gave each other always enough space. They could smell where the other guy was. There was never a surprise. Nobody needed to look back. But you said Simon Celli, and that's, I want to say something about it, because you mentioned it while we speak about Marco Bezzecchi, and there is some similarities between the two for me, definitely. That's a new, that's a younger version of it. He's as ruthless as... Yeah, I, I would say there's a similarity between uh, Simoncelli, Rossi and Bezzecchi. They're all, I mean, apart from their messy hair, um, they have this kind of very relaxed... They just kind of wander around the paddock looking like they're, you know, they don't even look like racers. They're just kind of wandering around, you know, they look like fans more than racers. And and uh, Marco's crew chief, Flamini, was sort of telling me that he never, Marco never leaves the box. He's just in the box all the time. Just He just loves being there. He's just like, wow, I'm a MotoGP rider. And he's in the box looking at this, looking at that, looking at that, and just having fun. So he's completely absorbed in the racing. And, and that's kind of, what you've got to be, isn't it? You know, if you're going back to your mother home to watch a movie or to watch some video about practice or whatever, but he 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 just he's there the whole time with Flamini and they, they have an amazing relationship, a bit like a father and son, which I, I guess would be a bit like JB and Rossi. You know, that's a very good relationship to have. And and Flamini has learned a lot from working with Jeremy Burgess when he was with Rossi about how to manage a young rider, how to bring him I on. remember Paolo telling me last year that Marco sometimes looked at him and adores him like he thinks he's a magician. He said, but I'm sure I'm not, I'm not a magician. At the moment, he thinks I am, but there will come a time that this is as it is. But at the moment, it's beautiful, he said. But the way, the reason, the reason that I mention him to Simoncelli is also that he can, um, he can accept punches on the track and he can deliver them to others and then be really ruthless about it. Really, really, I know. I don't mind it because even with Simoncelli, he could accept it as well. When he got when he got a punch from somebody, he didn't cry. And Marco already now said a couple of times. There's a couple of guys he said that are always crying, and now they are the first in the safety commission left and right. I don't cry. I just do it. You know, I love that. I love that. Exactly. On on, on I did a one-on-one -on -one interview with Bezecchi on Thursday here, and. Um... I tried, I don't know whether anybody's seen those sort of forms, permission to overtake forms that somebody made as a joke after Jerez. And I had one, I got one of those printed out and I tried to get him to sign it, but he was like, no way. He said, I already have too many riders breaking my balls about this. So, I mean, that's the thing. Bezeki is very, very aggressive, but you know, you have to be very, very aggressive, which is one reason why we have all these incidents. But he can accept as well. Eh? When he gets a punch, he can accept. So that's, that's cool with me. So, but the race, what I wanted to say about the race, not sure if you've seen it as well, is that the beginning was surprising for me how aggressive Miller was. I'm like, if you're that aggressive and that eager to go to lead the race, then you have to check out as well when you arrive there, because there's no other point. Because for sure, when Mark is leading, he's not going to ride away. He's happy to stay there for three quarters of the race in the front, because he doesn't really have the speed. So let Mark lead the race, but Jack was left and right and all over him, tried to lead. Then when he lead it, he had no pace, which was cool because a lot happened in the first couple of laps with everybody. I mean, Binder was on the parking area, Martin was already in back in the motorhome almost, and they all had time to come back to make it one big group again because Miller was leading. 
in a way with the KTM, which has an okay speed, that you don't overtake him back so easily. Marquez in second place said, well, cool for me. That's a lap time I can do all day. Third place, Jorge Martin said, cool for me. Ah, that time Jorge was not third. But at that time, the top three said, well, that's cool. We do this lap time for half the race and we don't, uh, we don't disturb each other too much. But then the whole group got bigger and bigger, like Moto3, you know? So that explains a lot of what happens. And then suddenly everybody's really close to each other. We're over halfway the race. Best of the tires is already gone. The, the really soft rear starts to push the front a little bit too much left and right. You want to find a way around somebody else and you're on your ass. So a lot comes down to the nature of the track, um, the, the tires, but also the way the race developed. This was nobody's plan. Was was strange, but was good for us. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I mean, obviously, this is the first time. Oh, when did we last see? A, I mean, I know Marquez did. Mar Marquez did not make it to the finish, but he very nearly did. Um, I can't even remember the last. Did he finish at Valencia last year? I don't know. But I mean, you know, he hasn't done a race since Valencia or, or even before last year. I think it's about six months ago he finished his last race. They said, yeah, 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 that's sick. And he didn't, still didn't finish this one. It was. Yeah, well, he, yeah. So, so I mean, that was how many months ago? So, you know, he's. He was getting. He, he, he said when he woke up this morning, he felt like he woke up on the thir third day of the Sepang test, like when he hasn't ridden for two, three months. So he was exhausted, and yet, and yet he rode that Honda, which needs so much. Power, power, Can you remember Cal Crutchlow? You know, if you when you rode the Yamaha, you'd, your B BPM would be ninety beats a minute or hundred, and when you were riding the Honda, it was one hundred and twenty, one hundred and thirty. You know, it needs, needs so much uh, physicality. So I think Marquez, he's kind of still, despite the Calex chassis, he's still bringing a spoon to a knife fight, basically, isn't he? And for, for him to stay ahead of Martin for that long was, wow, was, you know, he, that's Mark. I, I was a bit worried at the start of the weekend because when when, whenever Mark's away for quite a while, you think, oh my God, have the doubts started finally to creep in and will one day he just come back and he won't have it. But when he crashed, was it FP1 or FP2? I thought immediately yes. he was the first to go down <laughs> on Friday morning. He's still the same mark. Yeah, and blamed yeah, yeah, it on yeah. himself. B because he was running yeah, a exactly. medium front. Yeah, part of the strategy yeah, can happen, Michael. Because yeah. of the new, the new yeah, format. Because of the new format, which I hate. He, he, he was trying to save softs for later on. So he was running a medium front, even though he knew it was the wrong tyre to run. And he crashed because of it. So that's the new format. Exactly. His crash happened in turn seven, down here left-handed, but you, he came over the crest. You remember how out of shape his bike was. That's why Martin was suddenly there, you know. He was holding on to that lead and the bike wanted to go every direction. It was it was a rodeo ride and it was got worse and worse and worse, so it was more or less. Yeah, he's, he, he just said that um, that crash didn't happen at turn no. seven. Exactly. It did actually happen ah, at turn okay, seven, yeah. but it started at turn 100%. six. The bike just started getting so out of control on the acceleration and it was still shaking all over the place when he hit the brakes for seven so yeah he might even have no 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 brake pressure when he arrived on seven the bike yeah, was maybe, that much maybe. out of shape maybe yeah, he had to grab maybe. twice and then you went white and when you're white and so on and so on that was it so that was yeah, mark yeah. but in, yeah mark for me was an amazing rider today not strong enough bike is still crap really crap but it's also still the type of bike that he likes I start to get very worried now, having seen this, for other Honda riders, because Honda now has to follow again Mark's way, and Mark's way is always to, for an extreme bike, where only he can be fast with, really, really fast. 
and nobody else. Not even Mira, which is a bit of a surprise. Mira went down again. Eh? Yeah, yeah. Now Mira is having a. He's on the top of the crash list and not and has no points, literally. So. And once you get in that that spiral that Mira is in now, like every time you get on the bike, pretty much you crash. It's very. You're yeah, going yeah. down, 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 and down. Knew, and it's eh? very difficult to start climbing out of that hole. It's a very difficult psychological situation to be in. Oh, yeah. He needs all the help. And, but the thing is, he knew it. Eh? He said uh, last week in an interview, yeah, I knew it was going to be hard. I knew it was going to be, yeah, you know it, but still you haven't, you haven't felt it before. And now you feel it. Oh, I feel sorry for him. But there's another rider we need to discuss as well that made a huge step. And you know for sure who I'm talking about. Unbelievable. What a star. Uh, that's the guy that that's Augusto Fernandes, of course, I speak about. He didn't finish there because everybody crashed in front of him. People crashed there, but he finished within whatever, I have to check my list, six, seven seconds of the winner. So he was all the time there. He was passed by Alais Spargaro and immediately took him back. Okay. Now, that's, and looking at the weekend, how it started, he started okay. Then he started to lose it and he couldn't qualify on Friday because, in your words, Friday afternoon is already qualifying. He couldn't improve enough with the new tire. Got some decent tips from Jack for Saturday about the KTM, got faster. And now you see the intelligent guy that he is. He's really calm and intelligent and takes his step. He's for sure not the most talented guy there, but his approach I like so much because current MotoGP bikes are so complicated and it's so weird to ride them and it's so different than anything else that you cannot just trust your talent, Raul Fernandez style. Exactly. You just end on your ass and you'll be slow. You have to be humble. Listen to your crew, stay all day in the box, and try work, try work. And Augusto is doing that, and already now he's, he's giving the result because he knows also he has a fine bike. You know, you can be on, you can be a rookie and on a difficult bike. I know KTM last year with two rookies, especially the Tektra team, was was a, a hard place to be. But I still think that both riders yesterday in the Tektra on the KTM should have done a better job. Yeah, I, I think. Um... Augusto was amazing and speaking to Paul Trevathan who, who's a KTM engineer but he works with the Tech 3 team this year you know, just what you, you were saying that he's that Fernandez has turned up I'm okay I won in Moto2 but that doesn't mean anything because I'm in MotoGP now so we're starting from zero and I, I'm here to learn so no, no ego just complete humility and and just learning from the team learning from Jack and so on and obviously the bike has also taken a step um, which brings us back to KTM being up there again you know, straight away, um, you know, from Friday, they were up the front and it's like, wow. And, you know, Jack crashed yesterday in the sprint because he ran a medium front when he probably should have run the soft and he crashed today. I, mean, I didn't actually get to speak to him after the race, but um, I mean, Binder, he got sort of out to the car park on, on, on the run down the hill on the first lap. And he, I think at about halfway through, he was about four or five seconds off the leaders. I thought, oh my God, he's going to win it. But then he did what you do at at Le Mans, you, you break one meter too late, you, you run wide and and he, I think when you do that, when you go out on to, uh, over the green, you're meant to give the rider in front of you one second, okay? That's your kind of self-imposed penalty to not get a penalty. And he gave himself 0.9 seconds. But I mean, how is a rider supposed to, how is a rider supposed to judge what is a second? You know, I mean, it's just a crazy rule. You have to know where the sector starts and where it ends. And in that sector, your lap time has to be at least one second slower. And if you go straight at that point, you have a crazy uh, shortcut that's so much shorter that you almost have to start, Marquez, I think Marquez should do this, start practicing it and then check your, your, your time later. 
to know in which gear you have to do it to be really, uh, you know, lose just, just, just enough. Uh, yeah, it, it's a shit. It's it's a shit situation that what happened there. But Brad uh, and the KTM's, you know, they're they're amazing bikes. The KTM's just like you said, out of the garage. When the bike is winning and the best bike in Jerez, and you bring it to Le Mans, which is such a really really different track. It's almost Motegi style, which you know. Uh, and Friday morning, it was immediately the best bike. You know what they do on Friday morning? Is usually they start with exactly the same bike as they left the test on Monday in Jerez, because that's your new base. So. And they were already fast on Sunday in Jerez, and they found some things on Monday and immediately. This means the bike has a broad window where it's working in. And from that moment on, you start a weekend on a flyer. And yeah, that, that, that's the shit. So we have to count with KTM for all year. They are there. Yeah, no, I, I, I hope so, because we all love Jack and we all love Brad. You know, I mean, they're just... Um... <laughs> Well, especially Jack. I mean, you know, you know, his his crew put. Uh, you know, he prom promised himself a, a yacht if he won wins a race. And his crew. I don't know whether you saw it during one of the practice sessions, but he kind of he, yeah, yeah, he yeah. ushered the TV crew in. And to, to, there was a picture of a yacht in his in his kind of you know where he puts his helmets and everything. But um, a friend of mine that used to work on a yacht magazine said that that yacht cost thirty seven billion quid. So he might have to he might have to win a few races before he can win that one. Got one more bonus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, and yeah, these are the guys that do just well. Great, just great to see Marquez back just being Mark Marquez and just fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. And as he said, he'd much rather crash fighting for second a lap and a half from, from the finish than finish 10th. You know, I mean, that he's a proper yeah. racer. And, and I'm so happy that That's he... If, if Honda can even find a, a slight improvement, that, that then, you know, he'll be closer to the front. That's the thing. That's the thing. Marquez don't need a Ducati. No. He needs just a Honda 20% better and he's going to destroy them yeah, again yeah, yeah, because Mark's yeah. still Mark. The, the, one of the odd things this uh, week was, everybody was knows. the Aprilia's, you know, they just have so much bad luck. I mean, that they, they, they've had a horrible season so far already, haven't they? But mostly it's due to strange little things like Alicia Spargro getting pushed off with yeah, Binder. Vinal is clashing with, with... But also Vinal is qualifying yeah. too end of the pit lane exactly complete just, just issue, little things failure happen, blah 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 without doubt they've got wow. the performance yeah. but um just they need some luck maybe Magello, um you know some italian air and all that maybe maybe that it's going to be a really track they, they they should be able to do it well uh, they were not so bad last year in asha but so. that's it we got we got <laughs> we see rolling tracks yeah. where you kind of you know you throttle on a lot of the time through the corners we've got Magello, we've got Aston, we've got saxon ring so, you know, that might be a chance for Aprilia to get their season back on track. One more thing that I want to say about Marquez, and it's not so much about him personally, but when he comes back, everything changes. The whole paddock changes, the whole atmosphere between the rider changes, because suddenly, you know, the Villian is back in town. And we saw it already in, was it Q1 or Q2, that Peko and Mark both decided to throw away a new S just because they don't want to give the wheel to the other guy. That's really hardcore, eh? They were playing poker on a high level, both of them. So you know who is afraid of who and who knows who is his enemy. That was, they both threw away an option to a new S and they don't have thousand new S tires in the weekend. They both decided to skip it because I'm not going to give you the wheel. Wow. No, I mean, Marquez was amazing. I mean, he, you know, when somebody crashed, said, why did you crash again in FP2 you know, on Friday? And he said, well, I, I, I looked at the, you know, it was the last two laps and I looked at the board, I could see the board obviously, and he was eighth. 
So of course he was in danger. He might have dropped out of Q2, so he was pushing. And, and, and as he said, he kind of said, 90% of riders wouldn't do this, but I, I always push to the maximum because that's how you give information to the team. You know, if you're not, if you're not going 100%. But clever too, because exactly, he didn't, he didn't crash in his first flying good lap. Then you know you have to do it. And when you have a banker, because that's Mark, then you can throw in some extra and maybe find one, two rows more. And otherwise I, I dig it or I, I crash it and that's it. So yeah, it, it's ruthless, it's hard, but it's also very clever executed by himself, like, like usually. That's enough about the Marquez situation. Fernandes we had, Miller leading initially and then slowing down the pace. What a race that he basically because of him created, but there was so many crashes. There was one crash that scared me and I'm not easily scared behind the screen, but especially the slow-mo. What happened to Luca Marini? He caught the bike after hit turn four, he got it up again, but it looks like you know, the, the, the force, the impact. Whoa, he could have break his arm, eh? I don't know how he is. You spoke to him or you heard about it? No, he's fine. He's fine. Well, he's, I just saw him walking back from his media center. He looks completely fine. Absolutely fine. Whoa. It reminded me a little bit of, of sure. the Bastianini crash at, um, Pulled him out when obviously Marini knocked him off. The, the, you know the bike, his bike just flipped yeah. over like bang, and you know the, you know it's no, no surprise yeah. that he broke his shoulder. But you know, like I always say, a lot of this stuff is is a consequence of what people want, which is close racing. You know, if you've got everybody riding around in a big gang, and somebody goes down, he's going to get hit. You know, and and it, once you get that kind of situation, it's just lap of the gods whether something happens or not. You know, these are the best riders in the world and they yeah, can change yeah, direction. Yeah. But even that's harder than it used to be. Folger was saying that, um, that's the problem. you know, now that he's riding the, the KTM gas gas, whatever you want to call it, that, you know, these motorcycles are not like motorcycles anymore. You know, you cannot ride a MotoGP bike like yep. a normal motorcycle because they've got so much downforce that you have to ride them. I don't know how you have to ride them, but you they're not, it's not like riding a normal motorcycle. And, and, and it also, they're so nailed to the ground by the they arrow very, very that it's physical, eh? very, very so difficult much. to change direction suddenly. You know, because the thing is so nailed down that you can't just go, oh, I need to move six inches to the left to avoid this guy. You can't do that. So I think this is another thing that the stewards need to consider in these collisions, that the riders cannot take avoiding action like they used to be able to. And speaking of stewards, they, there was obviously the meeting here because Jerez was a complete chaos and inconsistency about the penalties. Um, I don't know how you see it, but for me, I noticed a big change in the behavior of race direction, like almost do nothing except for one, which was obvious and completely logic. And, and, and nobody has any doubt about that. Um, so for me, this, this was cool. They, they changed it. They let the ride, like you said last time, let us race. They asked for, please let us race now. And there was plenty of contact. There were fairings flying around and there were people on the green and coming back. Bah, they know how to deal with it. They know themselves when, some, when somebody is a dirty rider or not, or when some move is a dirty move. Bezeki immediately knew, oh, I overdid it a little bit by Mark. Clever way how he gave that position back. Just that one position oh, immediately absolutely. stopped back in. He admitted yeah. after the race that he, he again, he'd, bro he'd braked a meter too late down in you know that downhill into Gareth Vale where everybody makes mistakes break to meter too late and he was going to hit Marquez so he thought well the only thing I can do is go inside and he went inside 
and obviously pushed Mark out, went out himself, and, and he said he knew it instantly. And he, he yeah. was already thinking about, okay, where am I going to make that happen? So that, that's the thing you have to consider about these guys. They have about a million things to think about. <laughs> you know, he's thinking about trying to ride on the limit. He's thinking about all the electronics buttons. He's thinking about the ride height device. He's thinking about when to give back the position, blah, 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 blah. You know, yeah, the, yeah, there's yeah, yeah. So, you know they, they need, not only do they need very big balls, they also need a very big kind of mental bandwidth that can cope yeah. with so many different, lines of information coming in you know exactly speaking as a data recording guy they, these guys need to have not one or two but like 20 channels on thousand hatch rates recording everything and processing it quickly because that's just that's the rate of change that's the speed of things that we're looking at at the moment but i'm from my point from my position i'm really happy that race direction without saying anything really stepped back and not put everything immediately on the loop and give everywhere penalties without any inconsistency so for me, that's cool. And okay, there were a lot of crashes today, but there was nothing outrageous that, no, that, that no. needs to it's be just, penalized. So it's just good old fashioned chaos, which, you know, I kind of <laughs> quite like a bit of chaos as long as it's safe. You know, I, I don't know whether you know, I, I came down here on a motorbike and I, I went into the fans area on Friday night, which was just awesome. Speaking of I mean, chaos. Just, <laughs> it was just <laughs> chaos. I mean, just people having fun and letting off steam and all the police and security have just gone away and let them let them get on with it you know and, and um, I love that kind of situation yeah it's a ghetto it's a jungle and but the people are just having lots of fun and most of the gangs that are kind of making these fires and these explosions and everything they they have um fire extinguishers whether they've been given them or whether they bought them themselves so that you know they're not complete idiots they, they, they you know they've got kind of things under control but um it was really nice I mean 117,000 people here today, 278,000 over the weekend, which is, I mean, a, the last time there was that many spectators at a Grand Prix race, you'd have to probably go back to Saxon Ring in, in the 1960s, where yeah. they used to have like 400,000, yeah. but only because there was nothing else to do in East Germany, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. apart from going to watch a motorbike race, <laughs> you know. So, uh, for, coming from quite being concerned about MotoGP over the last few months. The last two races have been so good and so well attended. I'm actually feeling pretty positive. And of course, now we go to Le Mans, <laughs> which is, uh, sorry, not Le Mans, Mugello, which is wonderful track. Then we go to um, Saxon Ring, which I also like. And then we go to Aston, which is another great track. So, so we, and then Silverstone and then, and then Red Bull Ring. I think this is shaping up to be a, a good season, you know, Already in, in Mugello, you have to promise me you have to go up from the paddock area, one level up the whole ring around the track. There's campfires, there is there is party, not crazy, just a lot, and it's cool. But then Saxering, you have to go to whatever it's called, some berg. It's, it has a name, but it's a really, really famous place. And and after that, yeah, no, I know. after it, Mugello, we have Asa, which is also, they know they know how to to party there as well uh, a bit like the French style so there's campfires and everything so yeah that's one thing that has never changed we have arrows we have right ID devices we have ECUs with traction control but we fortunately still have campfires around around the tracks and engines in the limiter all weekend long good exactly okay Peter that's fantastic um We'll speak at Magello in a couple of weeks' time. I hope everybody enjoyed the podcast. We'll try and get better. We'll try and keep improving. By all means, tell us what you think. Uh, you can be rude if you like. We don't care. Um, and yeah, we'll see you at Magello.
Thanks a lot. Bye bye.